Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is the founder of the Edge of Greatness Project. He is a coach and an author. His latest book, Master of the Sea, a little story about possibilities. It's linked up here on Amazon. Go get it now. He's also the host of the Edge of Greatness podcast. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, Charles Schultz. Charles, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Excited to have you on. You got a new book out. Wanted to hear about it from the source directly. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, Master of the Sea. Tell us about the book. Yeah. So um, I was invited to speak at a at a conference in Tennessee a year ago. And I, I told a story about how I believe we all live in a sea of possibilities. We, we have the ability to decide anywhere we want to go. But the difference between those who figure out how to get there and those who don't are the ones who learn how to master the sea. They learn how to read the compass. They know how to set their sails. They know how to row the boat. They have the ability to handle the adversity that happens out of the sea and face the storms. If they get twisted and off course, they redirect. And 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 those little lessons that we learn, more or less being lost at sea, leads us to eventually finding our true compass and our true direction. And then we land where we were meant to be. And, and that's kind of the idea behind the story. It's, it's a young man who thinks he's got it all figured out. He's a freshman in high school who had a good year and <laughs> his mom's like, yeah, dude, you got a long way to go and, and sends him to live with his uncle who owns a boat and does like, I, I like evening sailing cruises in Hawaii. And, and along the way he teaches him all of these lessons that the sea has taught him over time. And, it gives them this new perspective on what it means to really pursue something. How do we go about getting to where I really want to go? And what's my, what's my final destination going to look like? Do you, do you spend time on the water yourself? Um, a little bit, not, not a ton. Um, I love the water though. I, my uncle had a boat and every time we got a chance to go on it, I was, I was in heaven. Um, if I ever had the opportunity to retire on a boat on the water, I I would take that in a heartbeat. I just, yeah. Sounds sounds lovely to me too, no doubt. Just curious. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Iowa and Colorado, so not a lot of big boat spots for me either. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the Edge of Greatness, your podcast that you have, uh, I love just the the theme of the Edge of Greatness. Where where can we find that Edge of Greatness? We- so I've got a couple different spots. I'm I'm up on Spotify and Apple, but if you're looking for just kind of go back and look through all the stuff that I'm doing, the the Edge of Greatness Project dot com is the it's got everything. It's all right there. Sure. And then what, like when you dive into the, the edge of greatness, man, what, what, what is that edge? What are we looking for? Where do we, where, oh. do we, where do we find it? So the, the biggest thing is this is when I think of greatness, I think of it as a skill. It's, it's a, it's a journey to getting better. And just like any skill, no matter how bad you are or how good you are, you can always get better. So technically no matter who you are and no matter where you are in the journey, you're always on the edge. If you're trying to improve. The goal is always be trying to improve, never be satisfied with where you're at and looking for what can I get out of this next opportunity. And I think that's what I I took from the edge of greatness is that I've always felt like I was close, but it's weird because I've always felt like I was close, which means like, why haven't I gotten there yet? And then it started to click to me that I'm not going to get there and that's okay. 
because I'm still better today than I was yesterday. Yeah. And I'm way better than I was five years ago, yeah. 10 years ago. And that's, and that's the journey that I want to be on is constant improvement, figuring things out and then going from there. I love it. And you, uh, locally, I know you coach, you coach, you speak, right. Uh, all kinds of things going on with the educating life, but, uh, the alchemy sports, tell us a little bit about that and kind of your, your daily, some of the stuff you do there. Yeah. Yeah. So the alchemy sports performance, that's, that started after college. I started getting into the training world. I needed something to challenge me after sports was over and after school was over. And it was a great opportunity because I got to work in a team again. I got to help people get better. It was my first in the door to coaching in a sense, you know, I, I was coaching right. people on how to be healthier um, and then it's evolved because I started getting more into the sports world. And then now Alchemy Sports is about a lot of young athletes, a lot of college athletes. I still do some um, adult fitness stuff, but it's I'm geared more towards helping the next generation of me don't make the same mistakes I did. Yeah, I love it. Me too. I, I, that's why I think I, I vibe and wanted to have you on the podcast. I think what, you know, spending time with young athletes, I think especially when you have kind of performance strength background, um, I find in my experience that often sometimes it is the coaches in that performance realm that are better naturally at maybe sometimes coaching up the mental side. They're yeah. trying to get the maximum effort out. They're trying to yield, you know, maximum results in high stress environments. Um, what is it that you love about being able to kind of teach the mental skills and some of the stuff that's in the book, you know, through the process yeah. of, of your other work? Well, to, to feed off of that, I think a lot of times in the sports performance world, in the in the training world, we don't have to teach the tactics of the game. So we have the ability sure. to lean into some of those, mm -hmm. those more physically challenging, mentally challenging, emotionally challenging t situations. Um, but for me, is the one of my favorite things is when I get to see a kid realize just how strong they are. Mm. There's this there's this doubt that always starts when you begin training you you don't move quickly you hesitate you you hold back and and you almost give yourself an excuse as to why it didn't go the way it was supposed to because you, I wasn't really trying my best you know I I didn't want to go all in and then all of a sudden there's a there's a shift and you see a kid go you know what how bad could it be I'm gonna go for it and then they get it and they're like oh wow I'm I'm more than I thought I was and and from there you just see this growth that is unmatched yeah. in any other point in their life. Like that yeah. stage, especially in high school, if you connect with a kid and you get them to really explore the, the challenges of the unknown and, and they're willing to go into those places where they're not sure if they'll succeed, they can become something completely different in a short period of time. Um, okay. And it's a, it's a special thing. No doubt. I know in your journey of coaching, there's a, there's a coach in your past that uh, had a big impact on you. And yeah. uh, uh, I've heard you speak about him a little bit. And I just wanted to dig in like what, in its simplest form, what did that coach do so well that to create that impact on you? One of the things that coach Gussler did, um, he was my baseball coach in high school is he had the ability to, talk to everyone, but feel like you're getting talked to by individually. It was an incredible thing. He connected with every single player on his team and got the absolute most out of everybody. And there was this ability of his to instill belief that 
no matter what was asked of you, he's asking because he knows you can do it. And so even if you don't think that you're capable, you you feel safe to go and try and you feel comfortable to give it your all because he wouldn't have asked you if he didn't think you were capable. And that, and that was a, it was a special feeling. And he was also extremely demanding, extremely focused. And it, it was an awesome place to be and grow up because I needed that. I needed somebody to say, look, if you want to be great at stuff, I'm going to hold you to the, the standards of excellence. This is what it looks like. There are no cutting corners. There are no easy way outs. There are no off days. You have to be, relentless in your approach and and what you do and he did it he did it with making it fun there was a, it was a really cool balance for me because there were some days that were really hard there were some stuff there were some things that really sucked but i don't remember yeah. looking back at any of those things and going man i wish i i, I didn't like that i didn't want to do that again yeah. i would do it all over again every single thing that i ever went through if he was leading me i'd do it yeah i love it what um you talked a little bit, you know, about kind of the relationships and, you know, that aha moment when kids are finding their strength. Um, is there something in the like mental skills leadership realm that gets you excited when you're working with kids or other coaches when they have an aha moment around something else? So for me, it's, it's interesting because every kid is unique and different in what they, and what they retain and what they take from your, your coaching. Um, I have some kids come back and they appreciate the way I led. And then I have some kids come back and they appreciate what I taught. Mm -hmm. And then I have some kids come back and say, I wouldn't have worked as hard without your push. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a unique thing. And that's what I think I love about coaching so much is that in order to be a good coach, you have to be a good listener. Mm-hmm. In order to be a good coach, you have to be adaptable to different kids and different personalities and different styles. And so for me, I, I really just, I love all of the the connecting pieces. For me, it's it's putting together the the X's and O's of the mind yeah. and, and making it make sense to a kid who doesn't really understand why he has to face adversity in his life mm. or why he has to fail yeah. or why she has to deal with all of these other things that aren't related to the the task she wants, because that is going to help this eventually and, and connecting those dots and making it all make sense. I think that's the part I enjoy the most is it's not any one thing with leadership. It's not any one thing with, um, with the mental side. Although I think they all, they all interact together. Sure. I guess actually, you know what, if I were to say one thing, there's really a, when you see a kid lead another kid mm. in a positive way, yeah. there's nothing better than that because so many kids want to think leadership is yelling at your teammate because you're in charge and they're below you. But when you see a kid actually lead somebody, take them, put their arm around them and be like, Hey man, this is how we do things. We need you to step up here. We need you to do it like this. Do you have any questions? How can I help? Yeah. And I saw a kid do that and I was like, Oh yeah, that dude's <laughs> special. That yeah. dude's going to be, so much right. more than an athlete and for sure it's it's rare but it's special when it happens yeah i think that is uh i think as a coach you're like yeah i did something right i mean i've had a yeah. little piece to do with that i yeah. think that's great and i think there's uh, you know opportunities for us as coaches i think one when we see that we've got to catch them and recognize it right yes i think that often sometimes coaches are so focused on other things 
these moments that you just speak spoke of kind of, you know, don't get recognized or rewarded, but that's what the coach wants to be repeated. Right? Yeah. And I think so. Um, one of the things uh, I can't remember, I jotted this down doing some notes, um, but I wanted, I can't remember, it was from Twitter on your website. It said, greatness is a war of attrition. I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about greatness being a war of attrition. And he talked about a little bit about kind of that continuous yeah. striving. Yeah, because, because it's a skill and because you're never actually there, the person who can face the daily grind, who can show up every day and improve, who can use the compound effect to to make progress and then have high standards will eventually win that game and that but the problem is is that we we live in a world and a society that wants immediate results immediate gratification and you won't find that with this journey right. you you'll have small wins you'll have good days but one good day followed by five bad days doesn't get you anywhere you need a cumulative small daily wins and and so that's the that's the war you have to show up every day there's no there's no off days there's there's always just how can i get just a little bit better today and it doesn't have to be drastic like one of the things that i really love to talk about is when i approach things and and i think of like the compound effect mm-hmm. i set my targets so low and so small that it, it's harder for me to miss a day of something yeah. than it is to not do it. Like yeah. I, I, when I write, I set my target at a hundred words. I write yes. when I get in the flow, a hundred words a minute. There's no reason or any day ever for me to miss that target. Yeah. I think this morning I wrote 20, 2300 words. It's awesome. Cause I got into the flow, but I sat yeah. down with the target of, all right, let's get a hundred words on the page. And I think maybe, do you see this in the gym? I definitely observe this more sometimes with uh, older people getting back into fitness uh, that they get audacious and courageous before they get consistent. Yeah. And I think whether you're a young athlete or you got goals and you're, you know, whatever they are, you know, getting consistent is what's going to get you to that audacious thing that, that yeah. might be there. But if you stare at the audacious big goal, it gets intimidating. Right. And yeah. then we don't, then we don't put in the work. And I think there's a, a good story. I always share a lot that uh, I think it's Jerry Seinfeld when he just got the show deal with NBC and this other like struggling comic was opening up for him. And Jerry was still doing stand up, and this guy did not become a comic, but he used this advice he got from Jerry later in life. And he said, you know, I'm open up for Jerry Seinfeld. I want to know what, what makes you so great? You know, what did you do? And so pulled him aside and said, you know, what, what makes you a great comic? And he said, write one joke every day. And he goes, when yeah. I do that, I mark it X on a calendar. Some days I write a hundred jokes. Some days I write one. Sometimes the one's great. Sometimes the hundred stink, <laughs> you know? And right. it was just that. And then it followed up with that, you know, I did it, mark it off. But I think it's that yeah. same respect. You can't write 2000 words, unless you've already written a hundred, it's just not mathematically right. possible, but right. we start to overshoot the little consistency yeah. thing. So yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. That's, that's a, I mean, that's one of the big things is if I were to shoot for a thousand words a day, there'd be a day where I'm like, man, I don't have time. Yeah. And then you miss that day. Yep. But like I said, I can write a hundred words in three minutes, five yeah. minutes. Like it doesn't take me long. So I just have to sit down and give myself that hundred. And if I stop after that, fine, but odds are, I'm going to do at least 500 
Right. Like that's, that's probably my bare minimum. That's typically what, if I'm having a bad day, I'll stop at 500 because it's just, it's not moving well. I'm not flowing. It doesn't make sense. I'm not connecting with what I'm writing. And I go, all right, well, that's good for today. Um, But you know, if you looked at Jerry Seinfeld's calendar, I guarantee you saw 365 X's because it's one, you know, and for that person going to the gym, instead of going five days a week and trying to work out for an hour every day, just put your workout clothes on every day. You may only go to the, you may only go to the gym twice, but you got ready five, six, seven times and you're getting in the habit of going to the gym. So whether you go or not, get ready to go. That's the step one, start. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, put on the shoes and step out the door, right? Yeah, the bag. yeah. If you turn around it's, and go back in, that's cool. Uh, but you no just step out the door. And I think it's a good uh, balance there because I, I love, you know, the way you talked about your writing is, you know, even if it's not flowing or feeling whatever, that you can step away with not being over judgmental of yourself, that you still accomplished minimal task standard, you know, of what you're yeah. looking for. But I think sometimes that's the other part is people start to go, oh, kind of judge themselves a bit too harshly and then back away from their, their goals or consistency. Yeah. I actually talked about that this weekend. I, I was speaking at an event in, in Knoxville and I said, one of the things that we fail to do is define what our, what our words are. We don't define what success is. Yeah. So when I was speaking that day, I had three tasks I was going to accomplish that day. The first one, I was going to get up in the morning. I was going to write. And I did that. Second one, I was going to speak in front of a group that was already set in stone. That's an easy win. The third one was I was going to hang out with the people from the conference. Two of those three were going to happen, whether I did a good job or a bad job or not, but that's a successful day. Yeah. So I won that day because I set in a, I defined what success was that day. If you go through your life and you say, okay, I'm going to do three things every day. And this is me defining what success is. And you only do those three things. You're having successful days. Then you feel good about what you're doing. You feel good about the accomplishments. But if you try to go and say, oh, man, I've got a list of 28 things I got to get done and you only get six done. Well, you beat my three, but you feel bad. Right, right, right. You know, so again, I think keeping things small and consistent creates a life of success. We we, we tend to want to do all these things at once. Don't get me wrong. I have probably 95 things I'd like to do. If you were if we were to sit down and talk about all the things that I would love to get started and run with. We'd be talking for another hour of just about things that I haven't started that I think, man, that'd be cool. Let's do that. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be cool. But if I try to do them all at once, I'm going to be, I'm going to fail and then I'm going to get frustrated and then I'm going to quit. What uh, advice kind of to piggyback that on, uh, you know, prioritizing things? Where do athletes sometimes maybe get things wrong when I think when you can simplify and prioritize, it does make it a little bit more achievable. But often we, over we complicate it (laughs) i think athletes in particular put too much weight in the in the performance results that that's in my opinion they look at the wrong thing they're putting too much in stuff you don't have control over like did i score 20 points yeah well maybe that day you didn't have a chance to shoot that many times (laughs) maybe you know or maybe you had some good opportunities and they just didn't fall your way. Right. Certain things we can't control in baseball. That's, that's one of my primary sports that I work with is you can't control if you get a hit. So if you say my goal today is go three for four and you hit four seeds 
and they make three diving plays and you go one for four, but your goal was to go three for four. And you're looking at it from the perspective of the result instead of I hit the ball hard four times. Yeah. That's a successful day. You hit the ball hard four times. Hitting is hard and you hit it hard four times, but so what? They took some hits away. I guarantee next week you're going to get one that you nub into the outfield. That is the worst hit you've ever had in your life. And you're going to be like, you're going to take that win too, aren't you? Yeah. yeah so yeah. We, we, we put stock in the wrong things. And, and I think that that becomes a problem with a lot of stuff, not just sports, but we start to do it with life. We start to do it with business. You know, Oh man, I need to land this deal. Well, you don't get to control what they say. All you can do is make your pitch. Right. You know, if I make the best pitch possible and he says no, did I did I really lose? No, no. I did what I was supposed to. It's just not the right time, not the right place, not the right fit, whatever it is. But that's not the result that I'm looking for. I'm looking for fine-tuning my delivery, making sure I present it the way it's supposed to. And over time, if I do it consistent and I do it well, the business will happen, you know? But we we get frustrated by things that we can't control. For sure. You know, one of the things I always like to to ask, if you could uh, jump into a time machine, go back and see 16-year-old you, what uh, what advice would you tell 16-year-old self? I think if I were to get to, to go back to 16-year-old me, the most important thing that I would tell myself is Trust the compound effect and what it's doing for your life and don't get distracted by the fun, shiny things. Uh, when I was in college, I went to our freshman year and I was driven, focused, and every day I did more work than everybody else. I was so dialed in. I was I was on extra work on the tee, extra work in the cage, extra work in the weight room, extra work on the field. Um. But then, you know, after my freshman year, I had a really good year and I started to go, you know what? I want to have some fun in college. Mm-hmm. And I lost sight of what I really wanted to do and wanted to be. And that was a professional athlete. I really wanted that. I still yeah. would have loved that opportunity, but I stopped treating myself like a professional. I stopped mm-hmm. acting like a professional. I stopped doing the little things every single day. And What's interesting is when you stop doing the compound things, when you stop doing the little things, you don't immediately like stop being good at what you were doing. Right, right. You just slowly start to not compete at the same level. You slowly start not to get the little wins that you used to get. And over time, you look at it and it becomes this greater loss that sneaks up on you because you're still the same person. You're just not getting, you're not separating yourself from the competition. So, when before you're gaining all this ground and everyone's falling behind, all of a sudden they're catching back up and you're coming back down. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what's going on? This is a lot harder this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should turn it up again. And so that yeah. would that would probably be my message is trust the fact that doing little daily things is worth it. And, yeah. and don't get distracted by the fun, shiny little objects that will always be there. Well, if you brought up the little things, can you talk a little bit about how the little things can make big differences? especially with the compounding effect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I always try to to use little targets for everything, for my standards, for my, my goals, for my, my compound efforts. You know, like I said, the hundred words, 
a hundred words doesn't seem like much until you get to the end of the year and it's 36,500. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of words. Yeah. It, I mean, my last book that I just wrote, it's only 26,000 words. That's a full book. Yeah. The first one was a little bit longer. So, I mean, it was like three quarters of that book. But at the end of the day, if you do that every day, every year, every two years, you could write a book. Yeah. That's only if you do the hundred too. Like that's the bare minimum. Right. You know, and for me, another one, like I, I've got a standard that if, if I set an alarm, I don't negotiate with it. Mm. That's a little thing. Yeah. But it builds in every day a win. Yeah. Cause every day I'm waking up when I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to, and I'm not giving into what my mind's telling me to where, Oh, you're tired, dude. You should just hit snooze. Cause I still feel that, sure. but I've made it, I've made it a non-negotiable that if I set an alarm, I'm getting up at that time. Yep. I can always take a nap later. I can always find sleep some other time, but that's a win for me. I'm getting up no matter what. I and, wish and the... Go ahead. I was just saying, and those little things over time build strength. Those little things over time build character. Those little things over time build wins and, and, and it gets us the results we're looking for. I don't know if you can't do it on the iPhone, but I wish you could turn the snooze alarm off off of alarms so it wouldn't give you the yeah. option. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that'd be you, great. Like, it would train you differently too, right? Like you For always, sure. oh, 10 more minutes, right? No, it's right. Like, so oh, always, yeah. sleep studies always show that those next 10, 15 minutes are worthless anyway. So you might as well. Oh, yeah. Why didn't you just set <laughs> why didn't you just set your alarm for 10 minutes later? Like that that's yeah. the part that I don't get. Like we all know how much time we needed in the morning. Yeah. Why did you set your alarm for 6.30 when you know you don't have to actually get up till 7 to get to what you need to do on time? Yeah. Why Why waste that 30 minutes with crappy sleep? Yeah. Just I mean, <laughs> you uh, set it for 7. Maybe you wake up at 6.55 naturally and you feel yeah. so refreshed that you're like, man, this is amazing. But instead, you ruined it by setting an alarm for 6.30, hitting snooze every five <laughs> minutes until you get to... So <laughs> basically, you had restless, crappy sleep for 30 minutes and you wasted a half an hour. That was my college teammate and roommate. He could like milk the minutes. Like I'd have anxiety watching him try to milk the sleep minutes. I'm like, I'm going to workouts, dude. I hope you make yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You know. So. And I see my my college roommate was the snooze master. Yeah. It was, but he wouldn't hear his alarm until I said something. I was like Kevin, <laughs> your alarm has been going off for five minutes. You get up, you go. <clears throat> like, Man. why'd you even set that? You're just back in bed. What are you doing? Yeah. But yeah. It, to, to it's, I mean, it's those. Those little follow throughs, right? I said, I'm going to wake up at 545. I woke up at 545, right? It, it's it's a vote of you can follow through on what you decide to do. And I think that sometimes is when you start to drift off into the snooze world, you also start to drift away from building confidence because you're not really doing what you're telling yourself you're going to do. So yeah. how, how would you be confident in this world if you're not even following through on self? I think that's yeah. sometimes a challenging trap. <laughs> yeah, I think there's two things that are really important for for developing long-term success. And one is learning how to start because starting is hard and then learning how to finish and follow through. If you can start and you can finish, you can figure out the middle. The middle is always the part that's the, the easiest to kind of navigate and to understand and you grow and you develop and you get better as you go. But a lot of times what happens is we... We delay starting. Oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Uh, uh, New Year's resolutions just around the corner. Ah, uh, I'll get my, my birthday is coming up. We we delay starting things. Yeah. But starting is the most vital thing you can do. Even if it's ugly and terrible and you don't know what you're doing, start. Yep. 
then you figure it out in the middle. And what happens is if you figure it out in the middle and you stay committed to it and it gets hard and you fight through that hard part, because no matter what you choose to pursue, starting sucks. The middle when it gets hard sucks. And then you learn to finish, which also sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But if you get good at doing those things and you break them into those smaller parts and you learn to start and you learn to finish, you can figure out the rest. 